Introducing your starting lineup for the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. He's a 5'10 forward out of Carleton University. Give it up for Bradford. Welcome back, everybody, to the Most Valuable Podcast. We're back after a little, little hiatus. We had to take a break after the crushing Raptors defeat. All I can say is we've been down in the dumps for the last couple days, but we're back. Life goes on. Jeff, how are you doing, man? Well, still thinking about that loss. It was a tough one. Um, But we moved, you know. There's still a lot of NBA basketball to watch lot of NBA basketball for us to break down. That's why we're here. Exactly, exactly. So how about we go straight where the wound hurts the most? We can talk about the Raptors and the Celtics game seven. All I can say is I don't I think both of us were out that night when the Raptors went to a game seven and all I can say is when I was at the bar, you could see um whenever Pascal Siakam got the ball, people just man People were just ah oh, like a, there was a sigh in the, in the room. There were grunts. There were moans. Were like ah oh, man, it it was painful to watch honestly. Yeah, yeah. Siakam. That's the thing about the Raptors fan base sometimes. So that I'm not the biggest fan of how they how how fast they turn on a player. Mm-hmm. Um, I like many people was starting to get frustrated with Siakam's play. Uh, but let's not forget what he did last year or even this season. You know, he's just been struggling since uh, uh, the return to play. Um, and I remember a quote where he was talking about how, like, during that hiatus, like, he wasn't touching a basketball for, like, months, which, you know, in hindsight wasn't the best thing to admit, I guess, you know, because um, then people are going to look back at that and be like, wow, really, you know? Um, but it is safe to say that he did struggle a lot, um, in this series and, um, he's got a lot to work on in the off season. He's got to, um, work on his game. He needs to build his confidence back up. Um, I read a tweet, which, uh, I, I agree with 100% is, uh, I hope that Siakam isn't like really, um, taking the criticism really, really bad for his mental health sake because, man, people were ripping him apart in social media. And um, it's sad because I'm a big fan of Siakam. I've seen him grow throughout the years. You know, you remember back when he was part of the bench mob and then most improved player and now an all-star this year. Like, I'm very proud, especially for the fact that, like, he started playing basketball late and the jumps that he was making, like, 
it was amazing, his athleticism, his speed. But when what this series showed for him in particular is that if he wants to be a superstar, the number one option on a team, he needs to be versatile. You can't be a one-trick pony in the playoffs. You can do that in the regular season, but um, he's got to work on his game. I trust that he has. That, I'm sorry, trust that he will uh, based off his improvements over the years. Um, is he the number one option right now? No, I don't think so, but he could. But if not, he, he'll, he'll, he's at least, at the very least, a very good number two option. You know, just looking at Pascal the last couple of years, I've heard a lot of comparisons for him. I think one of the most interesting comparisons is his comparison to Scottie Pippen. So Scottie Pippen started out his career very slow, just like Pascal. And then he built his way up to becoming an all-star and then one of the best players in the league. And it's definitely an interesting comparison when you think that Kawhi Leonard in the Raptors last year was kind of like that Jordan and then Pascal was like that Pippen. And the one season that Scottie Pippen didn't play with Michael Jordan or one and a half seasons where Jordan was out playing baseball, Scottie Pippen actually put up pretty similar numbers to Pascal in the regular season. Now I'll say this, Pascal is definitely not close to Scottie Pippen's level right now anyway, but I have no doubt he'll turn it around because Pascal is the type of player that he's always improving. He's always working on his game. You can count on that for Pascal. And I think he won't take this criticism that he's receiving right now from a lot of people to heart because he's just going to use it as fuel to the fire to work harder and to improve his game. So I'm not worried about Pascal, but I will say that he definitely still deserves the criticism that he's getting right now because he's the biggest reason why I think we've lost this series. And if he was just a little bit better, maybe we get by the Celtics and, you know, maybe things are different, but we were not really here to talk about what ifs because what's done is done. But in better news, I guess Nick nurse actually got a extension today, just a couple of minutes from when we're recording this as reported by Shams Karania of the athletic. So good signing by the Raptors, I'd say, because, um, Although people say that he was outcoached by Brad Stevens, I'll defend Nick Nurse a little bit because he had to make choices based on the personnel that he had. So people were saying that Serge Ibaka, for example, should, should have played more in this series. And I agree with that to a certain extent because early on in the series, it seemed like Serge was more effective than Marcus Gasol. But as the series went on, you could tell that, uh, that Serge wasn't really the same especially once he injured his ankle. So I don't really blame Nick Nurse for not playing Serge Ibaka that much. But there are some decisions I think that he made in this series that ultimately helped us win games and lose games. So for example, we were talking about how the Raptors decided to go small after game six and they won that game. But in game seven, it actually hurt them a lot because if you think about it they had a possession where grant williams was in the free throw line missed both and then jason tatum ended up getting the offensive rebound which was huge to the raptors chances and negatively anyway so there are some decisions that i definitely think nick nurse could have done better but at the end of the day he's proven he's a proven head coach in this league and he proved it last year when we won the title. And I think he proved it again this year by getting the most mileage out of his players that he had 
and leading this team to an an honestly unexpected record. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Nick Nurse is obviously a good coach. Um, and in terms of those plays, another play that was really key to at least one or two Raptors wins were was the box one against Kemba Walker, mm-hmm. um, really nullifying his uh, impact. Because if he had it going, um, you know, we probably they probably would have ended us earlier. Um, in terms of Game Seven, I want to break down Game Seven because um, there are certain things where it was kind of frustrating because I felt like that was a winnable game. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how we played throughout the game, it was still a close game. And it it was just a few possessions. You mentioned one of those possessions, which was uh, the, the failed box out on Jason Tatum uh, after the Grant Williams free throw. That was a key moment. Um, but even before that, there was a play where um, the Raptors were down two. And... I believe we had a, uh, the Boston Celtics turn the ball over and Norman Powell uh, and what tried to go end to end, like, you know, try to be the hero. Um, and I, I love Norman Powell's aggressiveness. You know, there are times where like the Raptors can be passive and Norm's that guy to be the slashing guy to go to the lane and draw a foul or get a highlight dunk, you know, but this was a play where I felt like his decision-making Given the circumstances, it's a two-point game, like less than a minute left, you know, and he tries to go end-to-end, and people are saying this is like play of the series, was Marcus Smart's uh, block. A very, very, you know, on the Celtics side and on Marcus Smart's side, that's a very, very nice highlight, a nice block, very reminiscent of uh, LeBron's uh, block on Andre Iguodala um, in the NBA Finals a few years ago. Um, and Marcus Smart obviously has had a, an amazing series. I would say the player of the series yeah. um, with his defensive efforts and then also his surprising offensive contributions. Um, but Norm, like, why? Why did you do that? Like, why couldn't you just, like, bring the ball up and then slow things down and set up a play? Um, that, was a, that was just one of the many poor decisions out um, late in the game where that really cost us at the end. Um, and then also, I guess another play I wanted to break down was uh, Fred Van Fleet's shot. Mm. Uh, that was, you know, one of the biggest criticisms of the Raptors is they, they don't have a quote-unquote closer. They don't have that Kawhi. Um, and we've argued throughout the show that, you know, it's a collective effort is what makes this team great. Um, but I have also said, you know, that in the NBA, you do need a superstar more than any other sport. I think that this sport of basketball is the most star-driven league in that you really need your superstars, no matter how good the team is. And with the Raptors, at the end of the day, um, I mean, Kyle Lowry got fouled out, so Mm -hmm. that doesn't help. But ideally, with the money that we paid Siakam, he should be the guy closing it. But obviously, his play hasn't been warranted of that privilege. So the, the ball's given to Fred Van Fleet, which at times he's been known to hit some clutch shots. But what was that play? My goodness. My yeah. goodness. And it resulted in an air ball. I mean, like, I believe he was guarded by Marcus Smart for most of the time, that possession. That possession he was then, guarded by Grant Williams. No, no, but then Grant Williams switched at the end. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, because that's because I know that he took the shot over Grant Williams, and surprisingly, Grant Williams, well, not really, because at the same time, uh, Fred Van Fleet was very stagnant in just a certain era. There wasn't really much ball movement. It was just uh, running down the clock and then just a very predictable three-point shot that airballed. And people were like, what is that? And I'm thinking the same thing. We couldn't have had a better possession, especially knowing that Kyle Lowry was out of the game, which, again, was so frustrating. I kind of knew when Kyle Lowry was fouled out, it was kind of over. Yeah. But I wanted to give a little bit more faith. Um, very disappointing ending, um, especially with how close it was. In some ways, I kind of hoped, I could kind of would have rather have they have like a blowout game. Um, Kyle Lowry said the, the, the same thing, game, I think. The close game really stunk because that was a winnable game. It was just mistakes. The three big mistakes, I would definitely say, or the three big key moments that lost us the game uh, as highlighted before was uh, the failed box out, um, the Norman Powell, uh, Mark Smart block on him and uh, the Fred Van Fleet final shot. Like that was a winnable game and it's just frustrating, but props to the Boston Celtics. Good team. Jason Tatum, a star. Jalen Brown can play. Marcus Smart proved me that he is a real, real guy in this real defensive juggernaut who can hit the three. Um, and they're going to get Gordon Hayward back. And we'll talk about the Miami-Boston series and preview that later on. But uh, props to the Celtics. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I well, for the most part, I agree with a lot of what you said. Those were definitely the three key moments that swung the game in Boston's favor. I think in terms of uh, my keys that I saw in this game, Turnovers were a big one. So mm-hmm. Pascal had five turnovers in that game. And I think the Raptors in general, they had like way more than the Celtics. I think that was one of the reasons why they lost that game. The offensive execution just wasn't there. It was really sloppy. And it made it hard for the Raptors to come back after going down multiple times in this game. And mm-hmm. it was a winnable game. But I think at the end of the day, it just goes to show that this is a star-driven league, like you were saying. And it showed because when the Celtics needed a shot to get knocked down, there was Jason Tatum. He was knocking down a shot. And there was Jalen Brown. He was also hitting a shot, albeit no one was super efficient in this game. But at the end of the day, it's game seven. Just came off a overtime or was it – it was double OT, wasn't it, in game six? Yeah, double OT. Yeah, you're coming off – both teams are coming off a double OT game and – both teams are tired, so I wasn't expecting a most the most efficient game in Game 7. But it just goes to show that the Celtics had those guys at the end of the day, and the Raptors didn't. And like I was saying earlier, I think Pascal Siakam was the guy that we thought could be that guy for us. And it's actually so crazy looking at Pascal Siakam's highlights throughout the regular season because recency bias is just going to – make us think that, oh, Pascal is not that good of a player. But when you look at his regular season highlights, he's really good. There was times in the regular season where I thought, damn, like Pascal might turn out better than Kawhi. But again, that's just, you know, the biased Raptors fans in in me hyping up everything. But man, Pascal was really good in the regular season. And he just looked, the difference, I think, between what he's done in the bubble versus before you know, everything stopped with the quarantine was I think Pascal, he was just way more decisive with all of his moves. His moves were purposeful. 
he knew what he was going to do when he was like dribbling the ball, driving to the basket, whether it would be going for the post up, spin move, pass out, or he knew he was going to pull up right away. I think just in general, he suffered from a lot of hesitancy in this series. And you got to give credit to the Celtics because they made him uncomfortable and they shut him down completely. And I think that was definitely the Celtics game plan. I don't think they were expecting Kyle Lowry to pop off for a couple games. And I think that's the reason why we made it to seven. And again, you got to give props to uh, Toronto's enemy number one, Marcus Smart. I mean, we love to hate the guy over here in Toronto, but you got to give props to him because he's a really good basketball player in terms of his ability to affect the game on the defensive end. And he hit shots. And that was my biggest X factor going into this series. If Marcus Smart hits shots, then I, I didn't really give the Raptors much of a chance to even make this a series. And then, you know, it, things happened differently because OG hit the shot and then momentum swung. But I think the right team, as painful as it is, it is to say as a Raptors fan, I think the right team won in this series. So congrats to the Celtics, and they're going to be moving on. Um, I'm going to be rooting for the Miami Heat because, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to see the team that beat the Raptors win. But we can talk about that Heat or Celtics series later, like Jeff was saying. We got to recap some other things that have gone down in the league. Um, but well, before that, I just want to also mention that it was really special to watch the Raptors this season because, oh yeah, it's just this could have been potentially the last time we see this championship core play together in terms of Marcus Saul, Serge Ibaka, Fred VanVleet. All of those guys are free agents, and granted, they're due for some big paydays. Like a guy like Fred VanVleet, for example, he could potentially get a max deal from a team like New York, or um, even the Pistons could pay him a lot of money. Yep. I heard the you know, Pistons a lot. Yeah. Yep, Marcus Saul, he's definitely still going to be a coveted asset just in terms of what he could bring to a team that already has a lot of offense. So a team like the Clippers would love him or a team like the Lakers. And then Serge Ibaka, I've been hearing rumors that teams like Dallas are targeting him. So, you know, this could be the last time we see the, the gang all together. And that's kind of sad because it was just a year ago we won the title. So, I mean, sad to see them go, but I'm going to be happy for them regardless of what happens. So I just want to mention that. And Raptors fans, don't hang your heads too much because I think this team really fought to the bitter end. You can hold your head high and hold and be proud that the Raptors, you know, made it a series. Cause honestly, there was at a there was a point in this series where I thought we were gonna get swept. So mm. you definitely have to be proud of the Raptors regardless of uh, the outcome. Yes, trust them aside. Um, we have a great organization. Uh, regardless of what happens, you know, I have my faith that uh, I have a lot of faith in the Maasai that um, this is not going to be the last of us, regardless of what happens. Yeah, we're definitely going to be back. And we're going to move on to another team that got eliminated recently. The Houston Rockets, unexpe well, not unexpectedly, expectedly so, getting knocked out by the Los Angeles Lakers in five games. Uh and it was also interesting because, uh, of course, the Russell Westbrook slander was heavy. And Mike D'Antoni, I think like a day day before the last game, he was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to be back if uh, the Rockets will have me, blah, blah, blah. Uh, along the same lines of what Kyrie said in Boston. And then the next day after they get eliminated, he's like, all right, guys, I'm out. Peace. Like, that. that's just super weird. So 
I think we were both expecting the Rockets to lose in this series because we just didn't put too much stock on the Rockets making threes. That and combined with the fact that they didn't really have a guy to cover Anthony Davis, which Anthony Davis and LeBron James, they just ate in the paint every single game. So we weren't expecting an outcome, anything different from what happened. But I just want to get your reactions on like what the Rockets options are moving forward, because I've heard a lot of news about potentially Popovich going to the Rockets, which I think is bogus. If I'm Popovich, I'm not picking the Rockets. They're probably like the last on my list. And then I've also heard uh, rumors of the Bucks potentially trading for Russell Westbrook, which is a little bit, I think it's a, I don't know if that's the best fit for Giannis, but no. Where do the Rockets go from here, man? I mean, they don't have a head coach anymore. They don't have D'Antoni, the guy that made this system. So what what, what would you do if you're Daryl Morey in this situation? Well, this whole Rockets experiment, Daryl Morey's vision, was based around the idea of analytics. Um, and analytics is something that I, I try to learn a little bit about. Um, when it comes to sports, some sports use it more than others. Um, I think baseball example is an example of that. For, um, of that, when it comes to basketball, there's been criticism, you know, on both sides of whether it's actually useful in the game. Um, a lot of old heads, the Charles Barkleys of the world, the Stephen A. Smiths, don't believe its value in the game. I, my thoughts on analytics is if there's information that could help a team get better, um, that's great, you know? But the thing is, though, um, I felt like uh, the Rockets were taking that analytics approach and taking it to the max. And clearly, it's not going to work out. Um, on paper, right, the way they, they set up their team uh, – was clearly surrounded around the idea of getting threes. Um, start, and the, the, the offense would revolve around James Harden. Mm -hmm. And James Harden will get those numbers. Like, this guy is a scoring machine. Like, you know, a fantasy god. Um, but the idea of, like, just surrounding the team with smaller 3 and D uh or shooters it's good in by concept like the idea of like you know you can always stretch out the floor but at the same time uh we're, you're also in a league where there are there's a guy like anthony davis who's a big and can stretch out the floor and that creates a mismatch and that was obviously one of the big things of the series like no one was going to guard anthony davis let's be honest so that was already a mismatch okay. um but in also doing that like you, you gotta surround them with shooters but you also got to surround them with good shooters and efficient shooters. And if you, the word efficient and Russell Westbrook should not be in the same sentence because <laughs> my goodness, um, I, Russell Westbrook is an exciting player to watch. Let me start off by saying that he's fun. You know, he's a highlight machine. Um, you know, his dunks are so nice and his passion for the game, his, you know, his celebrations, you know, He's an exciting player, but many is, is he an inefficient point guard, um, very low basketball IQ, 
Um, and he has an ego. Like he, like it's okay to have an ego. I love players of egos, but you need to back up your egoism with your play. And he's been extremely disappointing. You know, I thought that maybe um, with a change of scenery, moving from OKC to Houston, getting to play with his friend, he might take a back seat. And to some, and to some degree, he did, just based on the fact that he was an MVP candidate. Um, and I feel like he might have been okay with that for the first time. But man, like, he had an opportunity to do something on this team, you know, and have a real partner, James Harden, and he failed, man. Inefficient game. Um, I know James Harden had a couple inefficient games, but he was doing what James Harden does for the most part. It was more Westbrook that was really disappointing. And then the support players, you know, they've just been that. They haven't been more, they haven't been doing that their job to the best of their abilities. And that just led to the Rockets just getting destroyed by the Lakers. And the Lakers are not a perfect team. They're not uh, uh, this super uh, unbeatable team, you know? Mm -hmm. So the Rockets are a mess. And for what the future lies for them, um, D'Antoni's gone, which again, they built that team to fit D'Antoni's offense, right? Yeah, I'm Daryl Morey. I'm pissed off that D'Antoni just left. Right. So this experiment, they they have very limited years before they just completely blow up. They have to blow up because these guys are not getting older. Um, Not getting younger. Sorry, younger. Sorry. (laughs) They're not getting getting younger. Yeah, they they definitely get, yeah. they only have a few more years of this experiment before they blow it up. I don't know how many more years they're going to do it. They need to get a coach that can uh, use this analytic thing um, to the best of its abilities, because otherwise, you know, they're going to have to do something um, in terms of a full ass rebuild because uh, the Rockets are a mess <laughs> to say the least. You know, I'm a big fan of this era of basketball because it's really predicated on pace, space, ball movement, shooting the ball. And I love the modern game, but I can't help but agree with the sentiment of some of the older players and older like people around the league when they say that this game was ruined by analytics. And you could just look at the Rockets as an example because all they do is shoot threes. I'm not a big believer in that type of game plan to win games just because I think personally in the league, if you want to win, you need to be able to score at three levels. You can't just do one thing really good and that alone. Because even like the best teams that shoot threes, like for example, the Warriors, when they won their titles, they shot threes, but they also took it to the basket. They also did mid-range shots once in a while. I think they were the most efficient mid-range team during one of their championship runs. That just goes to show that you can't be like, like we were saying about Siakam, you can't be a one trick pony as a player. You can't be a one trick pony as a team if you want to win a title in this league. So I think the Rockets have definitely learned their lesson, I'd hope, because this experiment, albeit it was very, very interesting in the beginning, because you got a guy like Russell Westbrook playing with the best spacing in his entire career, but he just didn't utilize it, I think, to the maximum potential that could have happened. 
that along with the turmoil in the team, you know, Dan, Dan Wellhouse, you know, he had a little bit of action in the bubble, but uh, he got kicked out regardless. So, I mean, that it was a, it was really a non-factor to begin with because he only missed one game and they got eliminated that game. So, I mean, Hey, if you're the Rockets, I think you have to take things in a different direction. You have to get a new coach. You need to, uh, you need to sort of abandon this threes only philosophy. You can still take a lot of threes. You can still take the most threes in the league, but you need to mix it up. You got to go inside. I think they need to acquire, they need to acquire a center that's just not a liability on the three point. I heard that Capella is a good center. Yeah, they traded that guy. They ended up <laughs> trading that guy. So um, he was a good center, though. <laughs> I think they'd love a guy like Brook Lopez, for example, because Brook Lopez yeah. is a center that can still protect the rim. He's not the most athletic, but he's going to protect the rim and he's going to shoot threes. I think that's the type of center that the Rockets would want. And it would also help if they sort of I think they need to move on from either James Harden or Russell Westbrook I think they'd want to move on from Russell Westbrook but um, his contract will be hard to move because he's due a lot of money and he's getting older he's also injury prone so I don't know what sort of options they have for trades well if they trade him then that makes that Chris Paul trade look even worse because remember they gave up two first round picks along with Russell Westbrook I'm sorry, along with Chris Paul to get Russell Westbrook. Yeah, and honestly, if I'm thinking about it, like back in the time when they traded for Chris Paul, the Rockets, I thought it was a good move, and they almost won a championship. They were probably a game away from actually winning the title or a Chris Paul injury away from winning the title. Yeah, in game seven. So it's really, it's really funny how the Rockets had like a – short memory span just thinking about that and then they move on from Chris Paul although they moved on from Chris Paul fast because of that drama between James Harden and Chris Paul so I mean I understand that but you you gotta hate you hate to see it for the Rockets man because they could have done big things I think and they just haven't lived up to their potential so Regardless, the Lakers are moving on, and they're currently waiting right now for the opponents, which we can talk about now. The Clippers and the Nuggets somehow have gotten to a Game 7. And I'll say this. I didn't really give the Nuggets much of a chance. I'll admit it because they had a guy like Jokic, but I didn't think they'd take it to 7. And I think this is very classic Clippers behavior just in terms of their franchise. Because they have a history of choking. No matter who they have on their team, they always choke. I believe they're the team that gave up a 3-1 lead versus the Rockets when James Harden was like, I think the the game they lost in Game 7, James Harden was on the bench. And then guys like Josh Smith, who were definitely past their prime. You got Josh Smith beating up on you, man. That's That's sad. Just because, you know, Josh Smith, he was an amazing player in his prime. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. he was pop. He was never the good three-point shooter. And he was popping threes on this Clippers team. Then you fast forward to, you know, the Donald, Donald Sterling um, situation, which is definitely a big L. And then you move on to now where they have Kawhi, they have Paul George. They almost struggled to get past the Luka Doncic-led Dallas Mavericks. And they didn't even have Porzingis which was crazy to me. And then now we're here 
and Nikola Jokic is completely torching the the Los Angeles Clipper defense and they don't have any answer for him. So I don't know, like I've seen a couple of games from this series and I just thought that the Clippers, once they get up, they're a little too overconfident and they think once they get their lead, they're not going to relinquish it. And I think they've just playing been playing really complacent. A lot of talk around the league is that the Clippers are having tunnel vision right now. All they've focused on this season is playing the Lakers and defeating the Lakers and becoming the Kings of LA when in fact, they should probably look at the opponent they're playing in front of them first. So I just want to throw this over to you. Like, what have you seen from this series that have made, has made it as close as it has been? Funny you mentioned the Clippers franchise. I mean, I'm not a very superstitious person, but like maybe there are some superstitions about the, the, the NBA that will always remain true. The Knicks always failing in the draft lottery mm. and the draft. And then the Clippers not making it to the Western Conference Finals. Maybe that's it. Um, But with the Clippers, um, I've been saying they're an overrated team. Yeah. You know, they just overrated in the sense that they're instant title content. Like instant, like like not even a title content, like they are guaranteed to win the championship, uh, which that's what a lot of people were saying, you know. And... I disagree with that. This team is not as good as people make it out to be. They're a good team, you know. Obviously, a team with Kawhi will never be a bad team. Um, But my God, that was a – I think that we saw in the Mavericks series some of their flaws. And in this series, um, I don't want to take it all on the Clippers because I want to give credit to the Nuggets. The Nuggets are a good team. Uh, Jokic, he's the best center in the league. Um, I think there's no debate about that anymore. I don't see it. Like, the t- contenders are usually like Joel Embiid or Carl Anthony Towns or I don't even know who else could be someone in the conversation. But it's n- there. no one is close to Jokic and his impact on the game, um, his play. He's just a- an interesting player to watch. Um, there's no player like him I can think of off the top of my head. I remember there was a player comparison. I can't remember his name from the past, but um, he's such an important part of the Denver Nuggets team. But then the supporting cast, Jamal Murray, he's a young guy who, like I've talked about, I've raved about him throughout this, the podcast about how much of a star I think he, he's going to become and that he is right now. Um, and Michael Porter Jr., like he – People passed up on this this kid in the draft because of his injury, but people forgot about how good he was in high school. Like he was like the number, I believe at one point the number one prospect in the country. Yep. Um, and they he fell in the draft to the Denver Nuggets, and now they have another young piece, and it's just like wow. And then like Bobo, they got Bobo too coming up too. Um, Denver's future is so nice. We've been talking about it, but. And I don't want to talk too much about the future because they're playing good right now. Like, they're a good team. Mm-hmm. They got supporting pieces. Jeremy Grant's been playing great. Tory Craig. Uh, Gary Harris finally decided to show up. Uh, so good on him. Um, they should be very proud, and I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for them to win uh, Game 7 um, because they're just a likable team. You know, no egos. Unlike the Clippers, There's, there are some people with egos. <laughs> uh, Patrick Beverly. Um, you know, 
Marcus Morris. Marcus uh, Harrell. Exactly. That's you, the you full, like, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of the egos on the team that I really do not like that team. Like and it's just the fact that like the Clippers will never will never as a franchise uh be over the Lakers. Like that's why um what's the uh the president's name of the uh, the Clippers? I can't sound this happened that time. Steve Ball. Anyways, Steve Ballmer, yeah. He, I think he was the owner of Microsoft or some shit. Yeah, yeah. He needs to get the Clippers out of LA and rebrand that team if they, and create their own identity. Because as long as their home is the Staples Center, they will always be the underdog to the Lakers as a franchise. Always. Well, um, you think things would change now that they call the bubble home, but I don't know, man. It's still not the Kings of LA regardless. You, they'll have to no. win what is it, like 15, 16 championships before they can even be in the conversation. Exactly. Like, you go to L.A., like, you're a Lakers fan. If you're a Clippers fan, like, you're just like a bandwagon who fan who uh, was became a Clippers fan when the Lakers had that moment of, like, mediocrity, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, the Clippers are like that team to, like, oh, here's my second team, you know? But at the same time, it's also a team to, like, just be like, what the, like, that little brother syndrome, you know? Like, why is this team here? Like, in the same arena, you know? Yeah. Um, and I understand Kawhi went to the Clippers uh, because he wanted to change that narrative. But that's not going to happen. That, I'm sorry. They're not that good of a team. Um, of course, you got a guy like Lou Williams who, like, I'm always impressed with watching him play because he is a scoring machine at times, you know? Um, and not he can, in the bubble, though. He's been bricks in the bubble. Yeah. But that's what, well, that's what they got him for, though, like, to be that guy. But you're right about that. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I'm really, really, like I said, I'm rooting for the Nuggets. Um, who do you have in Game 7, actually? For me, I'm still going to go with the Clippers. I'm just going to think that Kawhi Leonard carries the team and gets it done. I'm just going to put stock in Kawhi because Kawhi is that guy. He's that guy that delivers in Game Seven, and we know full and well. But um, let's just, sorry, let's talk about um, the blown leads, because mm, yeah, it, it's not even that they're losing; it's that they're blowing leads. Like, what's up with that? What's up? I think Marcus Morris really hit it on the button in terms of um, he said that something on the lines that the Lake, the Clippers, they play like the team they are on paper, but in reality they don't play as well. So when they get these big leads, I think they just, they, they think that the game's over. And then, you know, the Nuggets, they're predicated on coming back from these deficits as we saw in the first round. So I think these blown leads are just, like I was saying earlier, due to complacency. And because of this complacency, it's made them a very frustrating and polarizing team to watch. Because at some points you think, damn, like the Clippers, they're title contenders, you know. They can definitely play that way when they're engaged. But when they're not engaged and they're just being complacent with their play, that's when you start to see that they're actually more vulnerable than what they show in, on other nights. So I think once they went up 3-1, they thought they were going to finish this one up in five. And then, you know, even, we th even I thought that way. And now we're at a game seven. And I just want to touch on that point on like the Jokic comparisons you were talking about. 
uh, I'm gonna spit some uh, knowledge, some some NBA history knowledge on mm. uh, on our listeners and viewers. Nikola Jokic is what Arvidas Sabonis in his prime would have been in the NBA. Arvidas Sabonis, he's the father of uh, Demontis Sabonis, the center for the Indiana Pacers. And I'll tell you what, man, I watched one video a couple years ago about Arvidas Sabonis, and it's actually crazy because he was probably he was the best player in in uh, in Europe around like the seventies, and at that time he was dominating the Europe the European league. And I think like the biggest what if is if he came to the league when he was drafted, I believe he was drafted by the Blazers or something like that. But if he, if he came to the league 10 years earlier than when he did, then he could have potentially surpassed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the scoring list, which that blows my mind. But yeah, Arvidas Sabonis was a type of player that can shoot the ball. He can pass the ball. And he can dominate the glass. And that's the type of player Jokic is. And I think also that Nikola Jokic is the type of player that the Pistons hoped Darko Milicic would have become. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, he didn't. And just another comparison I like to give Jokic is he's, like, he's kind of like Dirk Nowitzki, but he's a better passer and better rebounder, which I love that comparison. Because, you know, you see Jokic, he's also doing the one-legged fadeaways now. So... I mean, I love me some Dirk Nowitzki, so I'm going to throw out that comparison too. So, yeah, the Nuggets yeah. are a fun team to watch. It's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens in Game 7. I got the clips just because uh the Kawhi factor, but it's shown in this playoffs that sometimes Kawhi isn't enough by himself, and he still needs to get some production from someone else other than just Paul George. Because Paul George, like, you know, we've been slandering him a lot. Don't get me wrong. Pandemic P, pedestrian P. You can th- give him give him any of the names that we we brought up, but he shows up. He's showing up in this series. I think. I think what matters in this series for the Clippers is who's going to show up besides Kawhi and PG. You need someone else dropping at least ten, fifteen, like two or three players. Whether it's Montrez Harrell, Marcus Morris, Lou Williams, Reggie Jackson, someone else needs to be the X factor in this series, and if. If that person doesn't show up for Kawhi, I don't. I don't think the Clippers can get past this Nuggets team because they're very well balanced. They've got scoring from Jokic, who's obviously dominating without any sort of defensive stopper for him. And then you got Murray, you got Porter, who else? Millsap. Torrey Craig is pretty good piece too, and then you know they got Monte Morris too. He's one of the steadiest backups in the league. So. I think the Nuggets, they just have more depth than the Clippers right now, more depth that's producing anyway. So that could be the factor that decides this game seven. But, man, if when I just watched the Clippers too, I just think that Kawhi Leonard really, really benefited from Kyle Lowry because the narrative of Kawhi carrying the championship to with, with the Raptors, I think it's kind of overblown because Kawhi got a lot of help too. I mean – Granted, he pretty much carried us throughout that throughout that Philadelphia series. I'll give him that, but in in that in that uh, Bucks series and in that Warriors series, it was all it was Fred Van Fleet, Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Saul even had some games. So you he needs a team behind him too. Like it is a star driven league. Don't get me wrong, but you need supporting pieces too. You need role players to be big in the playoffs. 
And that's, that's always been the narrative in the playoffs. If you have some role players stepping up, then that's, that's the championship team. And I think right now it's just not happening for the Clippers. So, I mean, I got them in game seven, but who knows anything can happen in game seven. You know, what's really great about this playoffs though. Um, there's no overly dominant team, you know, mm-hmm. and the Clippers were portrayed to be that team, but they've got flaws too. We obviously know about the Lakers flaws. Um, and then the East teams are not like unbe- unbeatable either. So this is going to be an interesting like ending to the playoffs. Um, I'm excited to see who wins. Um, obviously, I'm still keeping with my Lakers pick. Um, and you're going to have to pick a new team because obviously the Raptors are Yeah, Raptors are out. <laughs> um, I think to start out the season, I picked the Clippers. But, um, you know, I had to switch up when we did our bracket and I had to choose the Raptors just because, you know, I had to show support. But I guess now we can talk a little bit about that upcoming Eastern Conference finals between Miami and Boston. And I think people have already forgotten, but Miami's Miami's only lost one game this postseason. They mm-hmm. swept the Indiana Pacers and then they almost swept the Bucks too. If it wasn't for uh, Chris Middleton's heroics in uh, game five, was it? Or game four? Mm-hmm. Game four. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now we're looking at this series where Miami is a different team from Toronto because they have a player or a couple players actually that can get it done in the half court. So, for example, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is proven in this level, and he can go off for 30, 40, any night. And then Goran Dragic, too, back from the dead in terms of his career in general because I think people forgot about him this year, and he's been performing extremely well in the playoffs, just slashing and hitting those mid-range shots and hitting threes. So this is definitely a different team because they also have – more shooting, I think, than the Raptors because they have Duncan Robinson. They got Tyler Hero, Jay Crowder. Got a lot of dogs on this Miami team. And then you look at the Celtics. The addition of Gordon Hayward is going to be huge because I think in the Raptors series, they were able to hone in on guys like Kemba Walker, for example. And then that kind of made it difficult for the Celtics to create their shots. Because, you know, there were games where Tatum was struggling, games where Brown was struggling. And it's just going to help the Celtics offense in general, having that another creator on their team to be a threat. So not looking too deep into it, but um, just quick predictions. How how do you see this series playing out? It's It's a a tough tough one. one. You know, because when you think about it, a lot of people didn't predict this Eastern Conference Finals, people are having Bucks and Raptors. Um, Bucks, Raptors, Bucks, Celtics. People had the Bucks pretty much as a lock. Yeah. So the CD Heat and the Celtics, these are two very, very good teams, two great coaches. Um, Miami, I, I, I mean, this is a very generic compliment, but they're dogs, you know? Like the way they play, it's led by Jimmy Butler and his tenacity, his hustle, his love for the game is so infectious for a team. And I think he helped change the culture of that team for sure when he he signed with the the Heat. Um, 
as stated earlier, I was surprised that he joined the Heat when he like he was a free agent, right? People were having him go to the Clippers or you know that type of team, join the Heat, which people thought was technically by himself until he's waiting for the offseason next season, which can still happen. They could still get a max free agent next season, I guess. Um, but with this year, the emergence of Bam Adebayo, um, just the the culture of having like players who know their roles and are excelling at them. Like you mentioned Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, two shooters. Um, did you see there was like a, an article of like someone on the Heat comparing Tyler Hero to a, a Devin Booker? Mm, did you see that? I've, I've heard that the, comparison before. Yeah, yeah. I saw something like that. I was like, interesting. Like I can't, the, you know, this he's a rookie and he's doing what he's doing. And if anything, Hero's already been in, more impressive than Booker in his rookie year. Though being like the Heat are a good team, but his impact on the team is obviously very important. Um, and then just having um, good veterans around them, you know, especially Andre Iguodala. I think that was a great move um, to get him from the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they should be the favorites because of the fact that, you know, you're right, they're, uh, they've only lost one game in the bubble. They're, they look unstoppable. Um, and then with the Celtics, you know, this is going to be a different matchup from the Raptors. You're right. Because with this team, there is a definitive guy. And think about it with this, the, the Raptors-Celtics series. This is like, you, like what you said, if Siakam even played close to the way he played in the offseason, this might have been a different series. But now we know that with this series, I'm sure Jimmy Butler is going to show up every game. And you got Bam out of bio too. That's two all-stars, right? And good complimentary players, good coach as well. I'm picking, whew, for that tough one though. But, because I think also the other thing I'm thinking about is like the superstars, right? And how we talk about how superstars drive the series and who's the best player in the series? Mm. I think, I think it's Jason Tatum. So with that, I think for sure it's going to game seven, right? And if Gordon Hayward stays healthy, I think Boston wins again in seven games. Wow. And then it's going to be a Boston Lakers final. Wow. Uh, Very like a very historic rival Celtics Lakers in the final that's my pick okay so I definitely agree with a lot of your um, observations there I think the difference in this series like I think I don't think Jason Tatum's the best player in this series and it's not because of the Boston Celtics hate in me and the you know Raptors fan being bitter about the Raptors losing and I also this pick is not based on the fact that I'm rooting for the Miami Heat. I think from my observations, the difference in the series is going to be that Bam Adebayo is not Marcus Saul because Marcus Saul was beaten off the dribble multiple times in the pick and roll. And he was also just like a constant target for lobs. Like the Celtics completely exposed Marcus Saul by using the lob 
And he was just not fast enough or quick enough to defend that type of action. I think Bam Adebayo is like a completely different matchup because he's younger, he's way more athletic, and he can guard that action, no doubt. And he can also switch out on the perimeter, which a guy like Ibaka, for example, he wasn't good at guarding the pick and roll either. When he was in the game, he was just getting torched by Kemba. So Bam Adebayo's ability to defend in this series is going to be so key. And I think in general, Jimmy Butler, I think he's the best player in this series over a guy like Jason Tatum. I think we're going to definitely see it because Jimmy Butler is going to take on that that mantle of guarding a guy like Jason Tatum. So we're going to definitely see who's the best player in this series, but I'm just going to put some uh, put some stock on Jimmy Butler's alpha coming out of coming out and defending a guy like him. So I think in general, I think Miami is the better team and they're just like, like I said, completely different from the Raptors. And the fact that the Raptors pushed the Celtics to seven, it makes me nervous for the Celtics because Miami, I think was a better team in the playoffs than the Raptors were without a doubt. So with that being said, my initial gut reaction and gut observation for this series is I got the heat winning this one in six. So that's, uh, I think that's a little more extreme because it's probably a lot closer than that. But uh, like I said, I, I just don't see this Celtics team that was pushed by the Raptors to seven games. I don't see them being able to get past a team like Miami. They're just too talented in terms of their defense, their shooting, and I don't think they're going to suffer from a lot of the problems that the Raptors did. And it's going to be harder to limit this team too because they have multiple scoring options. And it's just in general going to be a way tougher series than the Raptors series was. And like you were saying, the Raptors, they're a couple possessions away probably from winning that series too. So I just can't put stock on the Celtics because of that fact alone. Well, regardless of what happens, uh, I think this could, it's going to be fun seeing Marcus Smart versus Jimmy Butler. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Two guys with uh, alpha mentalities. Albeit Malcolm Smart is in this sort of a beta role, but mm. he's definitely a guy that can impact this series too. And, we're going to see what happens with uh, Gordon Hayward because Gordon Hayward was a starter before Marcus Smart um, step, stepped in after his injury. So it's going to be interesting to see what Brad Stevens does in terms of that. Yeah, I, think they, the bench. I think they benefit from Smart actually starting because yeah. he's the guy that brings that defensive intensity and he just sets the tone for the team. Shot. And yeah, he's, he's knocking down a shot too, which is the biggest knock on his game. So I think it would be very stupid for the Celtics to go back to Gordon Hayward, especially coming off an injury. So I expect him to come off the bench. And this game is definitely going to be a, or this series in general, it's going to be a very, very good one to watch because you got two of the teams that I don't think anybody really expected to make it in this, um, this position. So I definitely think, this is one for the basketball purists. It's, it's not the matchup we expected in terms of, um, you know, we hope the Raptors would go further, 
And I think everybody for, for, you know, not to look into um, everybody in the whole league, but I don't think people were expecting the Bucks to get knocked out in the second round. So it's definitely, it's definitely a not expected matchup, but I think it's one that everybody's going to enjoy because these are two very good teams defensively and offensively. And I think we're going to be in for a long series regardless of what happens. So um, with that, we're going to be closing out this episode of the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. We'll be back next time to discuss everything around the NBA. Until then, make sure you guys uh, stay safe and uh, happy back to school for everyone that's back to school. So until then, we're out. Peace. Peace.